Let's turn together now to Matthew 15. Uh, Back to Matthew chapter 15. That's on page 770 of your church Bibles. It's good to be uh, back up preaching again after a a couple of weeks off. Um, One week feels like you're uh, maybe doing doing something a bit different. Two weeks feels like I'm being lazy. Uh, But I was working still, I promise. you know, you can ask my supervisor, whoever that might be. Pao Ping, she's one of the uh, trustees. You can ask Pao Ping. Yeah. Anyway, Matthew 15, we're, we're continuing our, our, our move through Matthew's gospel. We've only got a few weeks left. We're going to go through chapter 16. Uh, and then we're going to take a, a break for the summer from, from Matthew uh, and do a, a short series on prayer. And some of the elders from uh, Emmanuel Brentford are going to be coming and, and helping us with that. And then I'll be going out, out to Brentford uh, at some point as well to help them. Uh, and then in the autumn, we're going to start on Genesis and, and do Genesis up through up to Christmas time. And then we'll come back around to Matthew early next year. So we will finish Matthew, but I think it's good for us to, to kind of move around a little bit uh, in the scriptures uh, and, and learn some other, other things there. But Matthew 15, uh, we're going to be beginning in verse 21. We'll be reading through to the end of the chapter, verse 39. And this is, this is God's word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Amen, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. 
And I'm going to uh, embarrass two of my children this morning, my two oldest. I got Miriam's permission for this. I forgot to ask Gus. Sorry, Gus. It's going to be okay. You won't even remember this. But this, uh, this is what happens when you join the church, I think. Most of you didn't realize that, who joined, uh, that you, you get talked about in my sermons. Uh, that's not true. That's a little joke. It's very, very little, clearly. Just, just my kids. Um, but probably, it's probably been more than 10 years ago now, maybe, maybe a little more than, than 10 years. We were still uh, living in the U.S., and Jenny was away for a, a weekend retreat with some, some ladies from our, our ministry there. And before she came back, I was trying to, to tidy up the kitchen. And so I had you know, these two uh, small children, probably about the ages of, of Lily and, and Noah, with us this morning. And things went eerily quiet. You know, in my, my spidey senses started to tingle. And, and the way our house was designed, we had uh, a pantry that was sort of around the corner uh, out of eyesight. And so I, I went around the corner and I, I looked down and on the floor were these two little toddlers and they were picking up uh, hundreds and thousands off the floor. They had reached up one of them and, and uh, gotten, gotten this jar of hundreds and thousands off the shelf, you know, sprinkles, and poured it out on the floor. And they were sitting there, and they were, they were eating, they were eating them off the dirty floor. And the thing about it was that they were having a great time; they were loving it. You know, for two little children desperate for sugar, hundreds and thousands off of a dirty pantry floor was the very definition of joy. And this is the the joy and the hope that that I think we see permeating through our passage this morning, particularly this this first bit, where we meet this this woman who who says she would be happy with just the crumbs from, from God's table, the crumbs of his grace falling to her and her daughter. And it's actually an astounding statement, isn't it? And it was made all the more astounding by the interaction that, that Jesus had with this woman prior to it. And I think this is, this is perhaps one of the most, most uh, confusing and, and potentially difficult passages in, in all of Matthew's gospel. Uh, I actually had to call uh, Paul Levy uh, our, our minister friend out in Ealing this week. Uh, some of you know Paul. Uh, and I called him because I know he's preached this passage before and he's pretty orthodox most of the time. But uh, he helped me out a bit. And, and there's, there's really just two things I want us to see uh, this morning. You would think I'd, I've, I've had two weeks off from preaching and I'd give you, you'd think I'd give you more than, than just two points. Sorry, I owe you an extra one. Uh, two points this morning. First of all, the crumbs of God's grace are sufficient. And secondly, the crumbs of God's grace grow and flow from the hands of Jesus. So first notice how the, the crumbs of God's grace are sufficient. Let's take a look, uh, first of all, at the setting of this passage. If you'll remember uh, last week, Jesus had, had been uh, confronted by the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of his day, and, and he ends up attacking them for the way that they used and abused the traditions of men. Uh, it, it, things that were additional to the law of God. And they, they were using those to abuse the people. And he, they were claiming that his disciples weren't, weren't keeping to their traditions. And so Jesus, Jesus has it out with them. And we heard it last week. And this is, this is a dangerous thing for Jesus to do because these were, these were powerful men in a deeply religious society. And so today we find that Jesus has withdrawn from that place and where is he now? He's out in the, the furthest regions of Israel, in the places where all the pagans lived. He was in a place where no proper Jew 
would freely choose to go. You see, Jesus is, is the man of sorrows, isn't he? He's the, the outcast from, from his society. He's, he's out on the outskirts. As he's walking along, uh, he's recognized. And he's recognized not by, not by a, a, a Jewish person, but by a Canaanite woman. Now, you'll have to, to think a, a long ways back to the Old Testament to understand what, who this Canaanite woman was. All the way back to the wilderness years of Israel. God had, had promised uh, the Israelites when he brought them out of Egypt, that he would give them uh, the land of Canaan. When they entered the land, God told them to, to, to drive out all of the pagan peoples of the land, all the, the idol worshippers, something that, that the Israelites neglected to do. And the result of that neglect was, was devastating for them in the end. But now we have this Canaanite woman, one of the, the remnants of this, these, these ancient pagan people, an outcast in the eyes of the, of the Jews, of the people of God. She would have been a, a pagan idol worshiper. She has a problem, doesn't she? Her daughter has suffered from demon possession. Now there was a, there was a temple not far from there that was set up to a pagan god who, who was meant to be a god of healing. This woman, this woman could have gone there, couldn't she? Maybe she already had been there. Perhaps she'd been there uh, many, many times with no relief for her child. But she, then she hears about this man, Jesus. And she sees him walking through her pagan land. And she's driven by desperation to go out to him. And she's, she's, been to the, she, she's been to the temples. She's seen the idols. But now she knows she needs, she needs the living God. And I want to suggest to us that this is where we, we see actually the first crumbs of God's grace to this, this Canaanite woman, this Gentile. Her suffering drove her to Jesus in desperation for his help. There's, uh, there's times where, where suffering is, is actually, in some ways, a blessing, isn't it? It doesn't feel that way. But the, the question that Matthew wants us to be asking ourselves is, would you rather have, have suffering with Jesus our good health and a carefree life on earth? Would you rather have, have poverty with Jesus or wealth and a lack of want while on earth? See, most of us would rather have, have, have good health and, and plenty of money, plenty of, of wealth. But Matthew and, and Jesus are saying to us that, that actually the things that, that push us to Jesus are the real blessings. And it helps us to value Jesus properly and this woman comes to him and she she actually addresses him properly doesn't she she calls him lord she calls him the son of david she she uses these these titles that the jews themselves had often failed to call him and would even refuse to call him this woman's showing showing the right signs of respect and even the the signs of faith isn't she her her plea is actually striking in verse 22 did you notice what she said she said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by demons. And this, this simple plea, this, this woman does two things. She, she first takes her daughter's suffering upon herself. Did you notice that? She asks for mercy for herself. Because when her daughter suffers, she suffers with her. 
And the parents here this morning will, will understand this on, on a certain level. When your child's unwell, your, your heart goes out to them. It's like, it, it, it's, it's a pain in your, your own heart that you can feel. It's a suffering that's there. This woman's feeling that. She, she's asking Christ to relieve her suffering, and, and she's bringing her daughter along with her in that. But the second thing that she's doing in making this request is that she, she once, once again pits the, the son of, of David, Jesus, against the demonic world. She pits the, the holy against the unholy. Je- Jesus, we've seen uh, pr- uh, previously, uh, casting out demons and healing people who are possessed by demons. She's, she's once again setting Jesus against the demonic world, the holy against the unholy. And what does Jesus do? He does nothing. He doesn't even respond to her. And his silence is, is striking and it's deafening. It's confusing, isn't it? When we consider all the people that he's freely and willingly and even eagerly healed up to now. Why is he ignoring this woman? And then the disciples begin to complain, don't they? Uh, you know, they almost certainly don't want to be there in this, this pagan land. It's, it's the wrong neighborhood, isn't it? It's not, their, it's not their class. And this woman's creating a scene. It's, it's embarrassing. And so they say, send her away, Jesus. You know, they're, they're saying, we're, we're here in this, this low-class neighborhood. And what happens, exactly what we told the master would happen. We're experiencing the antisocial behavior of this, of this woman. We shouldn't even be here. Just send her away, Jesus. We're tired of listening to her screams and her cries. Just, just get rid of her. You see, the disciples desired their own peace more than the peace of this woman. You know, they, had, they had previously brought uh, the sick and the unwell to Jesus. And they had advocated for them. They said, you know, here's this person seeking to be made well. But in this case, they, they're, they're, they, they can't do that for, for this Canaanite woman, this, this, this non-Jew. So we have a silent Jesus, and we have a group of disciples begging for rest, not advocating for this poor woman and her daughter. And we'll come back to Jesus in a moment, but his followers, his followers certainly can't be callous, can't we? We send her away. She's making us uncomfortable with all this crying. Have we ever done the same? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? You know, we walk past people in need every day in the city, don't we? I know we're told not to, not to give them money because they're, you, you know, the, the stereotype is that they're, they're addicted to drugs or alcohol. But can we do something else for them? Can we, can we buy them a sandwich? Offer them a bag of crisps or, or a, a banana from, from our lunch? We can, be, we can be callous, can't we? Even I can be. I'll admit it. I, the other day, uh, I was walking down the street, and a, a, a woman, a rough sleeper, that usually, you know, they just, they're holding signs saying, please help. But this one, was, this one was crying out. She was saying, will somebody help me? I need to buy food. Will somebody help me? And everyone on the street, your minister included, was like the disciples. We were embarrassed. And we were wishing she would just be quiet and give us, give us our peace. And Jesus' reaction actually to this can seem even more callous, can it? 
If you notice how Jesus reacted. First he says nothing. Then in verse 24 he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was only sent to God's chosen people. To this this nation, this this Israel. But then this this woman comes and, and she kneels before him. Some of your translations may say that she came and she worshipped him, which is which is probably a better way of understanding it, to be honest. She she isn't simply begging, but she's acknowledging Jesus. And she's acknowledging who he is, and, and, and she's doing that because of who he's revealed himself to be in verse 24. See, when he says he wasn't sent to the lost, he, he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He isn't saying that the, the gospel isn't for the Gentiles at all. And he isn't saying the gospel won't be for the Gentiles. Rather, he's making his identity clear. He's telling us who he is. He's saying, uh, he, he's saying like, like, like uh, Gandalf the wizard, that he's not just some conjurer of cheap tricks. See, Jesus is claiming to be the promised Messiah. He's claiming uh, divinity, deity. He's saying that those, the, the promises of the Messiah were made to a particular people. And I'm that Messiah. I was, I'm, I've been sent to that particular people, to the children of Israel. See, Jesus wants there to be no mistake or misunderstanding about his identity. He, if he goes and heals someone in a Gentile area, that doesn't, that doesn't change who he is. He's the promised Savior of God's people, Israel. You see, the, the grace, grace to the Gentiles would flow through God's people Israel, not around them. And that's the point that, that Jesus is making here. And the woman's response of worship is actually profound, isn't it? Because she's recognizing in him and acknowledging in him that he's the son of God. And again, that's, that's something that, that many in Israel, the, the very people he was sent to, had not, had not done. They'd refused to do. But Jesus then insults the woman, doesn't he? In verse 26, he calls her a dog. It's crazy, isn't it? It's not what we expect from Jesus at all. He says it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And this, this, seems, just, this seems mean. You know, it's harsh. Why is, why is, he, why is he acting like this? But there's a, there's a bit of a backhanded compliment in it, which is going to sound weak to our, our kind of modern judgmental ears. You know, you don't walk around calling people dogs. That's an insult. But the term he uses for, for dog is not, is not the general term for a, a mongrel in the streets digging through rubbish bins. It's actually the term for, for a house dog. The one looked after by the master of the house. Now I think in our, I, I would hope in our, our English culture where we love dogs, we can understand a little bit more how, how this is, is less of a slap in the face than it initially seems, right? And people, people treat their dogs really, really well in this country. If you've been to our house and you've had our dog jumping on you, you, you know, like, we treat our dog really well. We let him jump on guests. It's, it's really, we're, we're really poor hosts because we love our dog so much. See, Jesus has actually done something quite dramatic by, by, by taking the Gentiles, these unclean people, who the Jews would, would never associate with, and he brings them into, into the master's house with them. He brings the dogs into the master's house. And the woman immediately seizes on the implication of this with this, 
this remarkable response, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus is astonished, isn't he? He says that for something that he hasn't said of, of anyone else that he's come in contact with, not just in Matthew's gospel, but, but any of the gospel accounts. He says, you have great faith. A woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. He's never told anyone, anyone else that their faith is great. Maybe that he hasn't seen as great a faith, but, but ne- never that, that, that their faith was this great in all of his interactions. But he finds great faith in this, this Gentile outcast. The last place where you would expect to find it, but this is in fact uh, a theme that we see throughout Scripture. We see Gentile women throughout Scripture doing the same thing. We see it in, in Rahab, the prostitute, and we see it in Ruth, two, two outsiders who were, were brought into the people of God by faith. And this unnamed woman joins these great women of the faith. The, the, the New Testament continues on from the old, doesn't it? It's a, it's a wonderful thread or tradition that we see in Scripture, these, these Gentile women of faith. But before we move on from this, this point, we need to pinpoint a bit more what is actually going on here. Because the, the dangerous for us is to think that does this woman changed Jesus' mind, that because her faith was so great, she, she was able to make a demand of Jesus, that her faith was so strong that Jesus couldn't help but do what she asks of him. And we're tempted to think the application of this whole passage is that uh, if your, your faith is just strong enough, then Jesus will do for you what, whatever you want. We can change the mind of God if, we just, if we're just strong enough in our trust of him. But that's not actually what happened here, is it? The application, the lesson we learn is that that faith is, is when, when placed in the, the proper person, when we place our faith in the proper, the proper person, the proper object, then, we, it, then our faith continues to trust the character of that person, even when his response doesn't seem to match up with our own desires. That when we, we place our faith in, a, in the right person, then what we believe about that person trumps how, how their, their posture towards us appears. That's what, that's what real faith is. It's when our belief in the character of God is sustained even when his apparent posture towards us is not what we expect or what we desire. See, this woman wasn't put off by the seemingly cold response of Christ to her need. She wasn't put off because she saw Jesus moving towards her and she believed in who he was and she realized there was, there was nowhere else for her to go. That's actually a wonderful place to get to. We heard that in, in David's psalm, isn't it? That, that there's nowhere else to go. When, when, when you, you go down to the temples and you, and you find them cold and empty with only a god of stone, where else do you go? She'd been there, hadn't she? She'd been to that, that temple. But now she sees a, a true, warm-blooded and tender-hearted Savior. She knows there's, there's nowhere else to go. Even if, even if he seems put off by her, even if he's, even if he's calling her dog and, and all of these other things, she's, she's clinging to the, the character 
of who she believes the Savior to be. He had come to her country. He didn't send her away when the disciples asked him to. And he identified who he was, which was sufficient for her. This woman didn't mind being a dog in the house of God because the crumbs of grace were sufficient for her. In fact, those crumbs of grace were more than grace than she had ever experienced before. It was more than her idols had offered her. The crumbs of God's grace were sufficient for this woman. And this is where this woman's faith should, should challenge us. Would you be satisfied with the crumbs of, of God's grace? Would you rather be a, a dog in the house of God than a king in this world? How many of us would be, would be put off by, by the term dog? We, we cry over lesser names today, don't we? And I'm not saying Jesus calls us to, to rudeness or to accept bullying. I'm saying he, he calls us to humility. And that's what this woman showed in her faith was true humility. She was, she was counting herself as no more than, than this dog that, 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 was, that was simply trying to lap up what bits of grace it could get. What we see in this woman's faith is the kind of faith and humility that we all need. Her faith was towards an object. And that object was the, the person of Christ Jesus and no silence from him or, or, or a cold response was going to change what she knew to be true about this Savior. And the question that should leave, leave us with is what do you believe about Jesus? Who or what is the object of your faith? It, it doesn't really matter how strong that faith is if, if it's in the wrong per- thing or if we have to put conditions on it like I'll believe Jesus if he if he gives me this thing. I'll believe Jesus if he does this for me. I'll believe Jesus if he gives me what I want. You have to come to Jesus desperate because that's what true faith is. And that's how true faith grows when we look to Jesus and see that the crumbs of his grace are sufficient for you and me. And if you find that off-putting or insulting then you fail to understand the Savior presented to us this morning. Now the second much shorter point is that the crumbs of God's grace grow and flow from the hands of Jesus. If we recap for a moment what we've seen so far in chapter 15, even actually going back to to chapter 14, you have almost this, uh, what what theologians call an inclusio, which is where chapter 14 you have this this uh, feeding of 5,000, and we're going to end chapter, chapter 15 with a feeding of 4,000. And these, these two feeding episodes, in between them we have uh, the, the account of Jesus' confrontation with religious leaders of the day, who he strongly rebuked. And then he goes to this pagan land, and he, he seems seemingly cold towards this pagan woman. Though it ends, it ends quite warm, doesn't it? And as though Matthew knows that, that these are, are difficult things for us to, to hear and to, to process and understand, and as though to, to leave no doubt about the character and deep compassion of Jesus for his people. He ended the, the last section by, we ended the last section by saying the crumbs of grace are sufficient, but we see in this, these next two paragraphs that the crumbs of grace are not where, where it ends when it comes to Jesus that the crumbs of his grace are sufficient, but that's not all, that's not all he gives us. 
What does Jesus do after meeting this woman and, and healing her daughter? Well, he goes, he goes back to the Jewish areas of Israel, back to the, the people that his mission was primarily to, the people he was called to. And he goes up on a mountain where everyone around him can see. And the crowds come to him and, and he heals them. And this is where faith meets the incredible grace of Christ. Matthew's saying to us that, that sin's turned our world into a hospital. He's turned our world into a hospital, and, and Jesus is turning that world upside down. And he's doing it freely, and he's doing it openly. He's, he's healing these people. You know, we, we all uh, love the NHS, don't we? We don't love spending six hours there like, like someone did last night. Uh, but the NHS is, is brilliant, isn't it? It's one of those things that, that people in this country are most proud of. You know, we all went out and, and clapped for the NHS for months during COVID, didn't we? Because the NHS is the place where you can go and be freely healed from your ailments and diseases. You can go there and they'll, they'll heal you and, and you don't pay anything. And you pay your taxes, but we won't. That's, a, that's an aside, isn't it? You don't, you don't turn up and, and you don't pay anything. And Jesus says here that, that in the kingdom of God, you're not going to need the NHS. Because all this, the, the diseases of sin and brokenness, Christ is going to heal. And there'll be no more. See, the grace that healed the Canaanite woman's daughter, and that healed all these, these sick people coming up the mountain to Jesus, will, will one day fill the whole earth. That's the point. These three little verses serve as, a, as kind of an introduction to this this next scene where, where, where he's feeding 4,000 people. It appears uh, that healing and feeding are closely linked, aren't they? That they both reflect our, our felt needs. We all feel at times a need to be made well. And we all feel at times the, the, the emptiness of our world, the, the need to be, to be feel, filled, to be whole. And all these thousands of people are, are coming to him and they're, they're being healed and they're, they're, they're listening to him teach and they, they, they don't just... Uh, use him and leave, but they, they stay there with him. And we're told what they stood there stayed there with him for three days, abiding, but most importantly, they were there worshiping him. And Jesus' heart goes out to these people because he realizes they're hungry. He realizes that they've, they've been with him for days and they've run out of food, so he turns to his disciples and he tells them of, of his compassion. And that he's, he's unwilling to send the crowd away hungry, lest they faint on the way. What's the point of them coming and being healed if, if he's just going to allow them to go away and, and pass out from hunger? Do you hear the tenderness in Jesus? Do you hear his concern for you? You, you could be forgiven for missing it in the previous story, but, but you absolutely can't miss it here, can you? And the disciples, they don't, they don't know what to do. You know, they're, they're in the middle of nowhere, and all, uh, all they have are, are a few loaves of bread and, and a few fish. And they go, it, it, it just doesn't feel like enough, Jesus. We don't have enough. We don't have enough for all these people. We, we just have a few loaves and some fish. But Jesus says, that's, that's plenty. You know, you, you, if you thought the crumbs were sufficient for the Canaanite woman... Just look what I can do with a few loaves and some fish. You see the contrast between the faith of the disciples and the faith of the, the Canaanite woman? 
And she thought the crumbs were enough, but the disciples had whole loaves and they felt insufficient. That's how, that's how life feels for us oftentimes, doesn't it? Yeah, we, we, have, we have whole loaves of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And yet we often feel insufficient, don't we? We often feel like we don't have enough. But Jesus tells us that it's more than enough because he can make more of both. His grace multiplies and it flows from him. He feeds all 4,000 people and he sends them on their way satisfied. You see, this is the Savior that, that the Canaanite woman knew was there all along. This is the character of, of Christ that she knew was there. The Savior, he, he's a Savior who has compassion on his people. When he sees diseases, he opens a hospital. And when he sees hunger, he opens a kitchen. And knowing this about Jesus ought, ought to challenge us. It ought to challenge us in our own, in our own faith. And we often, we often feel insufficient. We often feel like the work of, of God and of Christ, like the disciples felt, is, is inconvenient. But Jesus says, where we, where we have crumbs... He can make loaves. And where he has where we where where he we have loaves, he can make more and more. Enough to do his work here on earth. Lastly, and I'll close with this, it's it's really important that we come back to, to the big picture of what Matthew is teaching us about Jesus here. And that is the the joy of his sufficiency. The joy of his sufficiency. Did you, do, do, you find your, do you find joy in the crumbs of God's grace? You know, on those, those hard days where, where it seems like you're, you're just barely hanging on. Do you look back and you find joy in that? Are you like the two little toddlers, you know, giggling over eating th- hundreds and thousands off, off the, the dirty pantry floor? If so, then, then soon enough the love and grace of Christ will be magnified for you. You'll discover the crumbs becoming loaves and the loaves becoming a feast. That's the whole point of, of, of what Matthew is trying to get us to see. That faith begins with an object. It begins with a person. And when we put our, our faith wholly in that person, in the, the person and work of Christ Jesus, then His grace will be sufficient for us, even as it increases to us. Let us pray.